Look at this new mug I have that's pretty snazzy, huh? And it wears Jedediah, Jedediah stand up for just a moment. Did you notice his t-shirt? Uh, yeah, a little swag happening there. All right, good morning. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Have you heard that phrase before? Yes, it's part of human nature. It's when we feel threatened, uh, especially physically, that either we fight it out, we duke it out, or we run. Right? I think some of us are geared more towards the fight, or some of us more towards the flight, or some of us more of the assessment of how big is the threat, right, on what we do. I want to suggest that it's not part of human nature only when it comes to when we're physically threatened, but also when we are in a dispute, a disagreement, or a struggle. I would say, unfortunately, that oftentimes, rather than engage in thoughtful dialogue, fight or flight. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you had a really good conversation with someone whom you profoundly disagreed with? For some of us, it's hard to reflect and, and actually find that, right? And not only that, that it was civil, but you actually honored the other person and their thoughts. You entertained that would possibly influence you, that you listened to another perspective. Is that so rare? Yes. Especially in our political climate today. We're not moving more towards, as a culture, thoughtful dialogue, but actually we're moving towards name-calling, canceling, dismissing, and demonizing those with whom we disagree. Yes? You watch the news, you read the newspaper, you YouTube video things, and it's rare to find an honest conversation. Our, our culture is swinging in that direction. Interesting, we've been walking through the book of Acts as a church and looking at how this early church handled all sorts of things, how they preached the gospel, and we can learn from that, how they sought after the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and we can learn from that. The chapter that we're going to look at this morning is an intriguing chapter because the church faces this profound disagreement and dispute. They find themselves, so early in the beginning, in its inception, they find themselves in this theological conundrum with, with passionate argument on either side. And it has the potential to split the church. And as I was reading this chapter again, I thought, how important is this chapter today? How important is this chapter for us to learn and grow from the early church? How we handle the, those moments of disagreement and dispute, whether they're on the, the grander scale, nationally, politically, whether it's international, whether it's just at your work. 
or at school and you're engaging with someone whom you disagree. I found over the, these verses in chapter 15, if you would turn with me, if you've brought your Bibles, um, Acts chapter 15, and someone stole my stool. I like to sit sometimes, so I'm going to grab a stool up here. So I found that there are a number of good decisions that the early church did. There are a number of really what I would call healthy choices that they made to handle this dispute, this difference of opinion. And I thought we would just walk verse by verse looking at Acts chapter 15. And, and learning, and hopefully that as we can take, we were praying this morning for the service, and uh, some member of the prayer team said, boy, sharp disagreements and disputes, that's like daily. Hopefully we can apply some of these principles to the different circumstances, the different conversations, the different wrestling points, whether in our lives personally or nationally, or internationally. So, Acts chapter 15, I'm starting at verse 1, and Helen, I'm not going to read the whole way through, we're just going to go back and forth a little bit. So, um, let's read the first four verses. It says, certain people, Christians, came down from Judea to Antioch, the church of Antioch, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, mind you, these are Christians. They're not outside of the early church. They were followers of Christ Jesus, and they're teaching this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and the elders. So the apostles and elders are leading the church there in Jerusalem about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So let's unpack this for, for just a moment. We are looking at what's happening is, is the church, Jesus himself, and the apostles were Jewish. And there was, they, uh, Peter really led the way, we saw a couple chapters ago, but then Paul, who was an apostle to the Gentiles, so you had Jewish Christians, or some would call them Messianic Jews, they affirmed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but then you also had non-Jewish people, Gentiles, that were converting to the faith. And all of a sudden, a group of the, the Jewish Christians were saying, hey, that's all well and good that the Gentiles are converting, but now really they need to become Jewish. They need to follow the laws and the customs of the Old Testament. 
the ones that were established for Moses. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jew. That was the heart. So they need to take on circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament representing the laws. So that's awesome that you all have become Christians. Yeah. But now you need to start following the the food laws and the dietary laws. You need to start following those customs that are a part of that. In fact, you might not be saved if you don't. That's a big deal, right? That's pretty significant. And in fact, Paul and Barnabas were saying, hey, that is not right. Now, what I want to say to you is that they handle this really significantly. Like, it would be a real bummer if this is true for especially the Gentile men, right? If they ha have to be circumcised. But the real issue is, is this right? Is this what God is saying about the Gentiles, the non-Jews. What does God believe about this issue? And, and the first principle that I think we can learn from is they don't say, well, forget it. That you got, you're uh, no way, uh-uh, we're out. In fact, Paul and Barnabas don't start their own denomination. But they engage in the disagreement. They don't simply walk away. Did you notice the church of Antioch says, hey, they recognize how important this situation is, and they say, we, are going, we need to talk about this as a church. We, we need to call the church together. Again, the, our culture, this is opposite of our culture of name-calling, canceling, dismissing, disregarding. After I preached on uh, having a kingdom lens, um, a kingdom lens as opposed to a political lens. I had a dear saint say to me, that was a couple weeks ago, if you want to listen to that message, I had a dear saint come up and say, you know, my dad, we're two different political parties and he's kind of dismissed me and is saying I'm probably not saved. Because of politics, because of a perspective. There's a dismissing happening. What I want to continue to encourage us on is first and foremost, we have a kingdom lens in politics, and then second, we engage, we talk, we wrestle. This is the second principle that I think, did you notice how the, the uh, apostles and the elders and the church of Jerusalem, they don't listen to Paul and Barnabas' re report and dismiss it because they might have be leaning a, a different theological direction. No, they celebrate, they honor Paul and Barnabas. They, 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 even though, though they might disagree with them, they honor them in discussion. I have a, a good friend, he is a, a sacred friend of mine, and I talk to him, talk about him from time to time, because um, he's had such a positive influence in my life. But there was a number of years ago that he's a, he's a pastor in another state, 
in our denomination, and he was starting to uh, change his position on a pretty controversial issue, which is potentially dividing a number of denominations in our country and, and potentially dividing our denomination. And he was saying, he said to me, Eric, I'm wrestling with these things, and I can't find an evangelical friend to talk to me about these things. I can't find one friend who will listen to how I'm struggling and wrestling. Right away, I said, I'll be that one. I, I love you. You know that I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you. You know that we're gonna part ways on these theological issues, but I'll be that one who listens to you. And so we just started that dialogue. And he hasn't changed my position. I haven't kept him from shifting positions on these issues. And yet we've both been really enriched by this discussion. Even though we, we disagree pretty profoundly on this particular crucial issue. That we continue to be sacred friends, and love one another even in the midst of those disagreements. What would it look like if the church, if the church modeled a different way to handle politics, disagreements, masks, all those things, and said, hey, Let's talk about this with, with uncommon civility. Let's talk about this with grace and truth. It's okay to have strong convictions, but not be uncivil, not be hurtful, not be dishonoring to one another. All right, verse, where were we? I think we'll pick it up at verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Clear statement. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. I love that they met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips a message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Let's pause just a moment for that reading. And I want you to notice a few things um, that Peter does that I think really help or inform us. The first thing that he does is he shares from his own experience. One of the great things that we can do is listen to other people's experience, especially when those people have a different experience 
than us. I was thinking of uh, the racial tensions today, and I've been involving myself in a number of forums or conversations or presentations. And in part is, I, I want to hear people's experience from different perspectives, especially people who have journeyed in this country, in this nation, in the faith. Most of these are, are all Christian forums for me, but to experience and hear their experience as a person of color or a woman. Now, I don't appreciate when sometimes, especially other white people will say, would you shut up because you're a white man? I don't receive that, right? I look past that. That's not honoring me. That's not honoring my voice, right? But I want to honor every voice that's in the room. I want to pay attention to other people's experience. You see Paul and Barnabas. You see Peter sharing of his experience. And the elders and the apostles are listening to that experience. I want to introduce you to a life shape. Some of you might know this is the most practical thing I can think of in terms of discussion and conversation. If you do any kind of discipleship or leadership development with us, you're, you're bound to hit this life shape. It's a, it's a uh, rectangle. And it comes from, in the Wesleyan tradition, they called it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And the idea is they ask the question, how do you decide what's right and wrong? What are the sources of authority and influence in your life? All right? And so we took that Wesleyan quadrilateral and kind of shifted it around because that's what I do, thinking about the kingdom of God. And so if we could go, Helen, to that first. So part of the quadrilateral, it's important, is experience. That we want to take from our own experience, our own experience with things helps us decide what's right and wrong, informs our perspective, but also other people's experience. We want to listen patiently in a way that is honoring to others and listen to them. Boy, if we would do that one thing, it would make such a difference in the testimony of the church today. Experience matters. It's not the only thing, okay, but it's an important thing. By the way, I, I don't really like the phrase share your truth that's in our culture today. The reason I don't like the share your truth, I understand the, the positive implications. You want to speak out boldly, but I'm far more comfortable with share your experience because when it says share your truth, it suggests that truth is always relative when in fact we believe that there's an absolute quality to truth, that there's one God one only begotten son, one Holy Spirit, and so forth, right? So share your experience. Yes, empower people to share their experience. It matters. It's important, okay? Now, there's another next part of the rectangle is we have friends and family 
or tradition? Can we go to that one, Helen? Friends, family, or tradition? Um, so I, I, it was tradition in the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And what they're saying is that the, your tradition matters. The tradition of your family matters. The tradition of your faith matters. Those traditions, like the Apostles' Creed, like the Sacrament of Communion, those matter and those should inform um, us in terms of what we believe to be right and wrong. And also the traditions of our friends, they matter to us, what we do. What Peter is doing, I believe, is he's, re he's reflecting on the tradition of God here. He's referencing Acts 10 and 11. Again, that message where he goes um, by divine work, the Spirit of God gives him a vision, and you've got angels, and you've got, hey, pay attention, I'm doing something. He goes to Caesarea, goes into the Roman centurion, the Gentiles' home, and he preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes and, and, and leads these Gentiles to salvation in Christ. He says, guys, don't you remember God taught us this? It would have been a number of years ago now. He's saying, don't you remember that incident, what he taught us, the tradition that we have learned, this should inform us on this debate. What's the traditions of your faith, of your family, of your friends that you should be paying attention to, especially right now in this difficult time in our history? All right, I'm going to make two political comments. The first one, you're going to think he's a Democrat. The second one, you're going to think he's a Republican. Okay, I've already told you, I'm not blue or red, I'm purple. That's the royal color of the kingdom of God, yes? All right, and so I, I want you to hear this, but it's important to me. I wrestled whether to share these or not, but it's important to me. I, I, I think that God is wanting to disciple us to have a lens of the kingdom of God first and foremost, that we, don't, that we view all of life through the lens of the kingdom of God, especially and importantly, politics. I believe that's what Jesus did, absolutely. Okay, first one. Just remember, I'm a purple. The, the, in terms of racial reconciliation and the, the demonstrations and the and the protests, and sometimes the riots on this. Now, of course I don't endorse actions or agendas or arguments or solutions, all of them that are being suggested out there. That, that some of those ideas are, I believe, very contrary to the kingdom of God. But God has told us that he cares about equality. God has told us that he cares about racial reconciliation. He cares about justice, especially for the least of these. If you look back in the Old Testament prophets, often they were saying, you know, you're doing the rituals of the faith just fine, but don't you see there's injustice in your nation? 
That's not right. I want to suggest as Christians, we should always be engaged in conversations of racial reconciliation, of justice, especially for the least of these. It doesn't mean that we have to take on the narrative that is being put forth by a particular political party. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is, is that there is a kingdom narrative that we should be a part of. And part of that kingdom narrative is racial reconciliation and justice. And because that's part of the kingdom narrative, we should be a part of that. Yes? Again, I'm not saying this from a particular political party. I'm saying this from a kingdom perspective. I'm not endorsing any one perspective. I'm saying, I'm trying to get you all to think about these things from a kingdom perspective. All right. Thank you for the few yeses. I was wondering if you're with me. Now, look at verse, verses 10 and 11. That's where we are, right? Now then, Peter says, we do not try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, which is really the laws of, and customs of Moses. That's the yoke he's referring to. That neither uh, we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. What Peter is doing here is he's saying, can we use some reason, some understanding here? He's saying, listen, now, now what you're saying to the, the Jewish Christians or the Pharisees, he's saying, you're saying that even though this yoke we've not been able to bear, even though the laws and the customs of Moses, we could not earn right standing with God, we could not earn salvation, what he was, what, and you're saying now, even though that was why the Messiah had to come, now you're suggesting the Gentiles go backwards and take on that yoke that even we couldn't bear. That doesn't make any sense at all. This relates to the third quadrant of the quadrilateral. He was saying, can we go to that, Helen? That reason or science or thoughtfulness is there. I want to encourage you guys. I see someone taking a picture of that. We'll finish it in just a moment. But write this down in your bulletin so that you can refer to it if you have a pencil. Write this down at home if you're keeping score at home. All right? So you've got this quadrilateral. Reason matters. He's saying, let's reason this through. Let's think about this in a different direction. Okay, now the other political statement, this idea. I just wanted to say a few words about the autonomous zone in Seattle, or it was called CHAZ. It was around for a while. When I first read about it and watched some news, this was my first thought. This is not going to end well. This is going to be a disaster. Now, why did I think that? 
Because Scripture not only reveals who God is, Scripture reveals who we are. It's an up-close look at human nature and how the healthy boundaries that we need to place in our own lives, and that's part of society and government, the, the, these ideas, and when you remove that, it often does not end well. And again, I'm speaking from a kingdom perspective. I'd say, I went, yikes, this is going to be horrible. I, they're going to start seeing the loss of life pretty soon. It's okay, please, please. It's okay to use reason and thoughtfulness and have someone challenge a thought and say, can we think the consequences through with these policies or recommendations or things that you're arguing or, or tweeting or whatever you're doing? Like, think through some of these things. Use reason. Reason should be a part of how we decide what is true and what is not true. All right, let's read verse 12. Those who assembly, uh, I'm sorry, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. I want to pause right there because that is the fourth quadrant of the quadrilateral. It's the voice of the Spirit. Or another way to put it is the blessing, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, that should matter. As Christians, we need to be listening in prayer. As Christians, we need to be asking and seeking the counsel of God. Now, some have argued that the voice of the Spirit is very subjective which it is, absolutely, okay? That's why we need to test. We need to be in community about that. I, uh, this was at a previous church, so I feel comfortable saying this. I preached a message, and I had a gentleman come up a couple days after the message, and he said, Pastor Eric, I don't think you should have said what you said from the pulpit. I was really surprised. I, I thought it was pretty tame. But he said, yeah, I don't think you should have said what you said, and I prayed about it, so uh, yeah, I'm right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I thought to myself, I, I, I was able to handle a little bit more gracious. I was like, well, I prayed about it before I spoke, so <laughs> who's right? Right? We can't simply put a stamp of, I prayed about it so it's true. God has called me to do this. Bam! No, no, no. I, no, no, I'm not listening. No, 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 not that's. A, hey, you know what? That's inconsistent with the. No, no, no. I prayed about it. This is what God's calling me to do. No. The voice of the Spirit should be a part of our discernment process. And in fact, there's power when we allow 
all four of those to function together. I always repeat this when I talk to people about the voice of the Spirit, is the crucial verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, where Paul is speaking to the church in Thessalonica. And they have, the reason he is about to say this is they have a temptation that they were hearing, hearing prophecies and they just wanted to dismiss prophecy and gifts and words of knowledge. And so in that context, Paul says this, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Friends, they were erring on either side, either discounting and dismissing the voice of the Spirit altogether, or just taking it at equal level with Scripture. He says, don't do either one. Test that. All right. Um, I'm going to read a larger portion here. I'm going to start at, where did we leave off? 13? No. 19. You don't know, do you? Either do I. All right. Verse 13. Oh, 12? Okay. Here we go. Uh, when the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. We did just read that one, right? Now, verse 13. When they finished, James, who's not one of the original apostles, he's uh, a leader of the church, he was the elder, brother of Jesus. James spoke up, brothers, he said. He probably represented the Pharisees, the Jewish Christians. He said, brothers, listen to me. Simon, Peter, had described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, and he's going to quote from Amos, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. He's talking about the Jewish nation that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. There's the purpose in restoring the Jewish nation. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. What he's saying is he's turning to Scripture. And he's saying Scripture is affirming what Paul and Barnabas are saying. Scripture is affirming what Peter is sharing and reasoning. And Scripture should be our final authority when we decide right and wrong. So let's look at the final picture of the quadrilateral. We put a center in that quadrilateral which is scripture, which is so important. Does experience matter? Absolutely. But we understand and interpret our experience through the lens of scripture. Do our traditions of family and of faith matter? Absolutely. But we interpret those traditions through scripture. 
right? Are you with me? Reason and science matter. We interpret it through scripture. Voice of the spirit matter. We listen, but we interpret it through scripture. Scripture we see as the revelation of the one true living God. That's why we humbly wrestle and study and preach and reflect and allow the power of Scripture to shape our understanding, our perspective on this. All right. Verse 19. It is my judgment, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. These verses are very interesting, that they are not hard and fast rules of new covenant life. In fact, later the Apostle Paul would say, actually the eating of food that's been a part of the idol worship, he said, let your conscience be your guide. So he's saying a little bit something different than what James is saying, but what they're both doing is they're speaking in context, and what James is doing is he's saying, I, I, I believe the truth is that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised, that Gentiles do not need to follow the laws and customs of Moses. But can I suggest some consolations? Can I suggest some things that Gentiles from around the world would follow to make it easier for our Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. And so what he notes is some things from the Gentile cultures that were particularly hard for the Jewish Christians to stomach. And so he says, can we be mindful of our Jewish Christian brothers and sisters and follow these ways? Does that make sense? Compromise, consolation, so very important, okay? Um, now, also, I want to go back just to 19, just to the outline too. I love that they made a decision. <laughs> Unfortunately, our denomination, this makes me think of our denomination. Some of you were a part of in the beginning of the year, which seems like forever ago because it was pre-COVID-19. We had some congregational meetings and we didn't have masks on. It was awesome, right? And, and we wrestled through some of these denominations. We said, we, they are leading to a decision in June of this year and so we'll update. We're going to have a congregational meeting to update on that, but... Basically, we gave three options, and the denomination says, you know what, we're going to go with all three. That's not a decision. It wasn't a decision. So the, the elders, the consistory, really praying 
about how to wrestle through this. We do, we will, we, we care deeply about the whole congregation and what you all have to say. So we're, we're not making any quick judgments or uh, fast decisions. We're, we're really listening to the Spirit. But I think it's so powerful that a decision was made. The decision included some consolations and some compromises. And then the rest of the chapter, most of the rest of the chapter, is the, they send a letter out to the church of Antioch and the surrounding, and they communicated, they communicated clearly that decision. Communication is always an area. If we are going to enter into really listening to one another, we have to clarify what one another is saying. And then finally this, there was integrity into that decision. Look at these verses. Look at verse 28. They said in the letter, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything. I love that. It means the apostles and the elders weren't just debating and wrestling with one another. They were praying. They were saying, Lord, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, how do you want us to handle that? Wouldn't it be great if at the end of a dispute and disagreement, you could say it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us? Wouldn't that be awesome? What a, what a goal to shoot for. And then the last verse, they say this. Um, you will be, do well, this is the end of 29, you will do, do well <clears throat> to avoid these things. They're saying live <clears throat> within integrity. Live with the, the decision that has been made. In other words, this is also an issue with our denomination, is they're saying God has established a spiritual authority. We've sought the Lord, we've wrestled with it, we've made a decision. Now we're inviting you as Christians everywhere to live with integrity in the spiritual authority that God has placed in your life. So important, so crucial. Could you imagine the testimony of the church if we, in such a contrast to our community of, of, of canceling, of dismissing, of demonizing, if we actually said, hey, I, this is how I see it, but I might be wrong. I might be missing it. So could you share your experience, your perspective? Let's reason together. Let's wrestle with this rather than dismiss one another and unfriend one another and, and make these statements. No, no, no. Could... What a testimony of the church if we handled these disagreements and disputes with humility and thoughtfulness and reason and prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. I use this line all the time because I, I believe it deeply. I do realize that my theology and perspective will be corrected someday when I get to heaven. Right? So I need to hold these things with the awareness that I might be wrong on a number of things. 
But I also realize that your theology is going to be corrected someday when you get to heaven. So I'd ask for that same humility and discussion in that debate. What would it look like in small ways and in big ways, regardless of whether the other people are practicing this kind of humility and peacemaking? If we all in the faith, modeled what the early church does here. How powerful of a testimony would that be to our friends, our family, and especially our enemies, those who disagree with us? Let's pray. I want to just invite you. We're just about out of time, so I just want to give this just a few moments Reflection. Helen, would you put that quadrilateral back on the completed one? And just between you and the Holy Spirit, is there one of these that you don't do well? Are these one of these that you've discounted in the past? Is there one of them that say, I really need to grow in this? Just between you and, and the Holy Spirit, would you ask him? A, a couple of our elders here, uh, Kurt, uh, Katie, Scott, I hope I'm not missing another elder, but if you guys want to just come forward, I want to encourage you, if there's a, if there's a dispute, if there's a, a, a wrestling, if you just need God's presence in, in a particular disagreement or struggle that you're having in a relationship, and you would like them to pray for you, They've, they'll keep their masks on and uh, maybe lay hands, but like hover above you or something like that. Social distance, I want you guys to feel safe. But yeah, just if you wanna, if you feel led, we're gonna sing the doxology. I'm gonna give the benediction and then the, the team will do a closeout song. Um, but yeah, if you want prayer for any reason, just come on in the in the circle and they'll pray for you. Can I not lead the doxology? Yes. <laughs> Can we stand to our feet?
Would you go in the sweet presence of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.